So welcome to the next episode of the Can Marketing Save the Planet podcast. Today, Gemma and I are delighted to be joined by Dr. Sam Sinclair, Director of Biodiversify. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Very glad to be here. Let's start then with talking about what is biodiversity? Because I'm sure as a part of that question, it's also going to give you the opportunity to talk about you and the work that you've done and how you started in this space. Sure thing. So biodiversity is, simply put, all living things. Um, so the term you know, literally means biological diversity. So the, the vast range of different species, of different uh, ecosystems, of different habitats. So it's not just the, the individual animals themselves or plants, whatever it might be. It's also the, the systems that emerge from them coming together. So it's not just the trees in the forest, but it's the whole forest, all the birds and the bees and the plants and the whole thing that comes together. So biodiversity is kind of a, a bit of a technical term, but essentially it's the the only kind of good technical term we have that really captures all of that effectively. Um, and it's it's been one of the kind of long-going challenge, challenges, really. Um, biodiversity has been declining since we've started recording it. The losses have been massive. Um, the Living Planet Index by WWF, I think, lost something like 60 70% over 30, 40 years. Um, the losses are, are really quite staggering, um, which is really quite a major deal because we are, well, totally dependent upon biodiversity to survive um at the moment we, we've vastly outstripped what what the world's capable of of, of uh supporting in the long term uh, i mean at the moment i forget the exact stat I should have looked it up um i forget the exact stat but the biomass if you just took the weight of humans and all of our the animals that we eat combined vastly vastly outstrips the the weight of all the wild animals put together we're now actually there's more people and and cattle and all this kind of stuff than there is actually nature mm. so conservation has been around biodiversity conservation has been around for a long time i mean probably sort of 50 60 70s when it really started to become a become a thing really well you know titled and a discipline a, a subject and all that kind of stuff but for a very long time, it's been seen more as a sort of charitable endeavor. Mm. Um, you know, one led by NGOs, one led by, uh, by, by charities, a kind of a, something that the government should look after, really, often. Um, you know, national parks and things like that, very much a government institution. Uh, and as a result, it's always been sort of somewhat trying to raise funds, trying to raise attention, trying to kind of draw people's focus on the fact that actually these, these critical and, and, you know, really beautiful aspects of, of our of our life of our world are, are disappearing very fast however in recent years people have started to really wake up to the fact that actually this poses a, a major threat to, to humankind uh, and it does this in, in a wide range of ways you know there's lots of amazing stats out there about how the bees go so do we you know they pollinate yeah. all of our food and but but it's actually it's much more than that uh, it's things like the water we drink um if you have no nature in a landscape then you get less rainfall you get more heat extremes you get much much worse effects of climate change for example um it's a very very broad net of, of services that we get from these things so in the last kind of i would say 10 15 years or so i think climate change really catalyze this people have been paying a lot more attention to the fact that actually we we probably should do something about this and actually yeah. this isn't just a kind of a green a greeny concern this is actually a, a very real concern for for, for civilizations really for room communities for, for, for nations for businesses for the, for the whole lot so 
my background is in conservation. I spent 10 years running around Africa, learning Swahili, living in, in, in small grass huts, working with communities, working with animals, governments, NGOs a lot. And it was very much trying to figure out how to actually do this stuff. And the thing I kept coming across was the fact that people were often approaching biodiversity decisions very, very badly, not through lack of effort. They were trying really hard. Um, but it's really complicated. And the reason for this is that nature is inherently a very complicated thing. And it, yeah. conservation issues are always heavily linked with people. Um, and actually, when you bring, we're equally complicated in my opinion, when you bring these two things together, you end up with a really complicated interlocking system that makes it really hard to understand what to actually do to try and reverse the loss and start to bring it back. So I did a PhD looking at how governments and large organizations actually make decisions about biodiversity in practice. Like, in theory, we have laws and regulations and these things, but how do they actually do it on the ground? How's it, what's, it, what's the reality of these decision-making processes? And basically came to the conclusion that people could be helped to make much better decisions, um, particularly large organizations, if they just had a bit of support and kind of thinking about these things in the right ways. So I founded Biodiversify um, with Mike Burgess, who's my co-founder, who did a similar kind of PhD, but from a data perspective, looking at how we use indicators and metrics and things like that to make choices. And we started working with people who were trying to make big decisions about biodiversity, tried to help them. And one of the first things that happened was we got approached by Kering, which is the company that owns Gucci and various others, big um, fashion company. And they've been leading in this space for a very long time. Um, they've been uh, yeah, pioneering lots of different approaches. And they approached us and basically said, we know we need a biodiversity strategy, similar to a carbon strategy, but yeah. we don't really know how we go about creating that. We don't even know what it looks like. At that point, no one had ever created one of those. So... We sat down and, and basically wrote a guide on how to create a biodiversity strategy with them in 2019, which we then published with Cambridge University uh, Institute of Sustainability Leadership um, in early 2020, just before the pandemic kicked off. Mm. Um, and at that point, this was the only document out there. No one was really thinking about this. I think the term nature positive had been kind of workshopped like in late 2019. So someone, someone else was thinking about it, but not in a very public way. Um, and this was the only document out there that really spoke about how to actually create a biodiversity strategy. At that point, we were two people. We were two little, two people with a dream, basically, um, thinking about this space of, of corporate biodiversity sustainability. Um, and since then, the field has absolutely exploded. Um, I mean... I can't talk about lots of things. It's all bond NDAs, but there's uh, the task force on nature-related financial disclosures has released lots of big government guidance. Um, Science-based targets for nature has launched and we're doing some of the pilots for them. Uh, there are companies all over the place thinking about this in really serious terms, thinking about this in a very kind of tangible, what is my business's impact on biodiversity? What can I do to, to reverse those impacts or mitigate those impacts? And how can we actually get an understanding of how this whole thing fits together uh, and actually move to action. And the, the stat I always use to kind of illustrate, because I can't talk about most of our clients, we work with all kinds of companies, but our clients collectively have an annual revenue of about two thirds of a trillion dollars a year, which is about just over a sixth of the UK's GDP. Mm. Um, and we're an organization of 20 people. Um, you know, there are other organizations also working with companies and that gives you an indication of the scale of interest that the, the yeah. sector has in this. Because you, you mentioned the term nature positive, and that seems to be a bit of a term that, um, dare I say it, marketing's grabbed hold of, and, and it's starting to be thrown around a bit like uh, carbon neutral and net zero, um, which causes, you know, mass confusion if it's not explained properly and, and talked about in the right way. And we also hear regenerative being talked about, regenerative business and how we need to move forward to that. 
what it what does a biodiversity strategy look like and what if you can talk about it what sort of elements go into a biodiversity strategy what the, the strategy to do is basically from a high level perspective help a company understand where are its impacts what do they look like what can be done about those impacts uh, and also essentially set out a kind of clear practical action plan for how they actually go about taking action um in terms of how they create them, I mean, Biodiversify's approach is very, very much an organization that embraces social science. So we spend a lot of time with our clients understanding, okay, so you've got these impacts around the world. How could we make different choices to, to address them? Um, and part of the thing that's challenging here, I want to bring in, is that biodiversity is harder and, and much more, it's very different to carbon in terms of how you have to address it. The main reason for this is carbon. You have an overarching metric. So you have this single number. So some CEO somewhere can go, great, I want our number to be 20. And yeah. jolly good, everyone has to go off and figure out how they can contribute that. And they can figure out which, you know, how much their factory is contributing to that number, for example. Biodiversity is totally different. There is no single unit of, of metric for biodiversity. There is no fungible uh, number like tons of carbon or pounds or liters of water, whatever it might be. And that's because uh, biodiversity is very context specific. So an oak tree, where I am, I can see one at my window, it's probably a good thing. It's probably a good thing that oak tree is sitting over there. That exact same oak tree in South Africa would be an invasive species that should be destroyed. So the independent, uh, the, the value of any given component of biodiversity is totally dependent on the context, yeah. which means you can't have a, a top-down approach, which yeah. means these companies need to think about where their impacts actually lie, which is almost always in their productive landscapes. Um, you know, we work with Primark, for example. They sell clothing, largely made of polyester and cotton. And the cotton they produce comes from all over the world. But basically, all their biodiversity impacts, not all, but the vast majority, are going to be in the fields where that cotton's grown. Small amount in other places, but that's the, the, the main focus of it. Which means that it's much harder to think about how a company understands these impacts because they don't hold the data quite often. It's, you know, they've gone through multiple hands by the time the materials reach them, which means getting a visibility of that supply chain is quite hard. But then also understanding where those impacts are, what form they take, you know, what way is the, is the company contributing to the drivers of biodiversity loss? Because it could be habitat loss, it could be water pollution, it could be invasive species. There are different ways in which you can impact biodiversity. It means that Essentially, it can be quite complicated, just even understanding where your impacts are, yeah, and then yeah. going a step further and go, right, what are the actions we can take? Well, actually, again, you've got all these different actions all over the world that might seem totally different and, and, and disconnected, but actually are pushing together to, to kind of push you in a, an overarching, towards an overarching goal. And essentially, in my mind, what a good biodiversity strategy should do is take all of that frustrating complexity and, and make it not frustrating and go, right, okay, fine. There are lots of different things around the world, but here is how it all comes together. Um, we don't have a single number for it all, but actually this is what we, where we currently are and this is what good would look like. And these are how we combine and coordinate these different types of actions from across our company value chain uh, locations in order to, to push us in that, that overall direction. Coming back to your point about Nature Positive, one of the big challenges, because there is no, because this varies so much from company to company, that makes it incredibly hard to come up with a single definition for what Nature Positive for Nature Positive, yeah. because there's so much variation between organisations. Yeah, but I think it's also as with a single term in relation to something that is a complex challenge, we businesses need to understand that they can't just take 
one or two words and stick it on as a label and start to use that without any context, without any explanation, without building up, you know, that level of understanding um, within within the business world, because we all need to truly understand what it is that we're all pushing towards, don't we? Because it's a common challenge with and a common goal, and, and it's gonna, you know, if we, we if we change the course we're on, then we all benefit hopefully from it. Yeah, I mean, what is? I, I mean, it, it it's so clear that it is so contextual, and there are so many different moving components and 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 areas that need to be considered that there aren't just some baselines and benchmarks you know that can easily be um taken and considered and oh, how are we moving on those so so i love that idea of of the strategy bringing everything together looking at all of the impacts and then looking at all of those all of the actions like you say that together collectively actually drive an impact and of course that gives organizations strategically something to focus on everybody can get behind that they can also talk about the work that they're doing and that work can be evidenced and as Gemma just said you know substantiated so that we're not going to get into the realms of biodiversity washing you know or whatever whatever that which I'm sure actually already probably possibly goes on um you know there have been cases of of kind of social cause campaigns in with indigenous um communities and such where people and brands have said they're doing certain things and then these things haven't come to fruition so you know i'm not going to name the brands but but there are cases that where these things have come out and and that is where they are it is about biodiversity. They are about, you know, looking after the communities. And as you said, the the communities aren't just about the trees and the the the, the animals. You know, this is about the biodiversity is considering those systems, isn't it, that that kind of cultivate all of that as well. So so it's interesting, but it's heartening to hear that you've said that this has exploded in one way, because what that is evidencing is that clearly. This is becoming increasingly important for organizations strategically. And like you said, you know, the types of organizations, the numbers that you're talking about there into the trillions, you know, this is this is seen as serious. You know, people aren't just kind of tick boxing this, are they? Absolutely not. They're taking it very seriously. And coming at it from a marketing perspective, I think one of the big things we're really seeing is a shift away from sort of individual projects. You know, like you mentioned, some small project somewhere doing something on a site or with a specific uh, food product or location. And we're moving towards holistic programs. We're looking towards company going, okay, how do we deal with all these things together rather than just trying to kind of break off some piece that often, you know, I can see the argument from a commerce perspective, but from an actual impact delivery perspective is far less compelling. So we're moving towards a case where people are actually going, right, what is the what is the big to pick, bigger picture? How does it all come together? Uh, and how do we talk about that? And one of the things I think is really interesting is that well, biodiversity is in- incredible from a narrative perspective. Um, there's a thing that comes up every single time we work with a client where we go and do interviews, we speak to people across the organization. And every single time, everybody is surprised to discover how much their staff cares about biodiversity. Oh, yeah. And a key part of this is that, all right, so carbon. Carbon's very dry. I don't have that many feelings about comes of carbon other than possibly fear, maybe, some sort of vague sense of terror. 
biodiversity, everybody has a story. Everybody has a plicking blackberries as a kid or the time they found a hedgehog in their garden or bird spotting with their dad or whatever it might be. People have these personal collections to biodiversity that are really compelling and really kind of speak to us on, on a deep level. Which means actually the, the possibilities for, for, for marketers and people wishing to talk about what their company is doing and why are, are huge. There's a real opportunity to, to really craft narratives here. Yeah. And one of the things that I find really heartening is that whenever we speak to clients, it's always really clear that both the individuals and the companies themselves want to do the right thing, kind yeah. of in you know, capital letters there almost. Um, but then actually that, that's shared by their organization's cultures generally. So, which is, you know, really fantastic from a kind of storytelling and, and, and public engagement perspective, yeah. because actually if you can figure out how all these pieces together come together, you don't have to get lost in the details. You don't have to kind of publish, I don't know, 15 different certification schemes you're signed up to and, and, yeah. and that'd be the core of it. You can talk about this is the bigger picture thing we're trying to do. And then that becomes your evidence, right? That becomes the, the log that sits somewhere on your website in a kind of, here are receipts kind of a way. Yeah. And you can talk about your progress, can't you? Can you? And you can say, you can evidence that progress. You can show that progress as you're moving forward. And, and that brings everyone who engages with your organization on that journey with you and hopefully makes them want to be part of that as opposed to organizations that haven't got a biodiversity strategy are continuing to have heavy impacts on nature. Um, it, it's a compelling story. And as you said, it's one that everyone can resonate with, isn't it? Absolutely. and it. The thing that's nice about that is it means that the business, there's multiple business benefits to doing the right thing by biodiversity. But it's very, very helpful that well, a huge trend is that people don't want to work for, for companies that are yeah. destroying the world anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, the job market is, um, there's very low unemployment and there's very clear indications to show that people are quite actively researching their companies, oh, yeah. their yeah. employers, and then choosing them on that basis. Quite a few of our, I would say, yeah, at least two or three of our clients, a primary driver has been the fact that it, they know it affects retention. And therefore, yeah. I think I love about that as well is they're then very clear that they want to do the right thing. It's not, yeah. we want to, because the staff will see it, right? The staff actually know. <laughs> so you can't fake it. No, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No. And also, if you are you know, if you are if you are working towards a biodiversity strategy, you are effectively going to start dealing with the grey, dull carbon issue as well, aren't you? By default, so it exactly. almost it brings that in in a much more interesting, inspiring way, doesn't it? But it makes it personable and human. You know, like, like you say, it's it, it humanizes everything and 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 connects with people. Can we talk about tree planting, Sam? Because, you know, <laughs> I, it's just quite seriously, because I think that often when we talk, and I'm, I'm you know, this isn't, uh, you know, being derogatory to any of the listeners or, or, or anybody, but this is just, you know, quite a serious point that the amount of people when I'm talking to them about, oh, you, you know, what are you doing? Oh, we've got this new book coming out and, we're, you know, we're trying to save the planet through helping people change their behaviours and communicating it, everything effectively. Um you know, when people talk about, oh, you mean, you know, planting more trees and, and think it. So can we just, you know, biodiversity, I mean, of course, trees play an important part in, in all of that. But where are the, where's the context of that? How, 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 how is this, how is that 
story that seems to be that, you know, so many people are like, oh, well, we're offsetting it through planting trees. How effective is, is all of that? And, and what would you um, say to our listeners about the tree planting initiatives? So I think tree planting, it is an important component. Um, undoubtedly, we need more forests. Uh, and I mean, you know, the UK in particular is really bad at tree planting. Um, you know, a lot of forests that we have currently were planted by people many, many years ago to make sure we had supply of wood for our warships. Um, and, you know, we have this history of being good at it. We're not very good anymore. But it's it's a small piece. There are many other habitats that are just as important. We have peat soils, which are basically the best carbon uh, capturing habitats in the world, uh, as well as being incredible for water um, and grasslands and, and a whole host of others. I think the reason that the tree planting has become such a thing is because it has great PR, basically. So people can get it. They can see that is one unit of nature, one more tree. It's much more understandable. They can also see it. It's difficult to see. All right, Most people won't look at grassland and appreciate that that stores as much carbon pretty much as a woodland because the vast majority of carbon is not stored by the trees but by their roots and the, yeah. the soils um which if you think about it, it makes sense because the, the yeah. mass of it is so many times more than that of the trees but most people won't get that understandably i remember when i discovered that myself multiple years into my biodiversity career <laughs> um which means that tree planting i think captures imagination very easily because it's very easy to understand and which means people can kind of get into uh they can look at that and go great i can generally see how that's most likely to be a positive thing whereas if you talk about more complicated nuanced things of uh you know habitat mosaics and uh functioning systems actually that starts to become a bit more complicated and doesn't really you know fit on a bumper sticker quite as well and finally i think there's also a cultural component to this so europe is big on woodlands right you know if you yeah. if you look back a long way um a lot of Europe, especially the British Isles, were very heavily woodland dominated. And it's something we really associate with nature. You know, it's in our folk fairy tales, the deep dark woods and all that kind of stuff, everything from the Gruffalo to Red Riding Hood. Whereas if we're in other parts of the world, South Africa, for example, they do have woodlands, absolutely, but they also have fainboss uh, and um, plains and savannas and all these other kinds of things, yeah. which means that I think it's a, uh, and I'm not saying that's wrong in any way, but I think it's a slightly kind of, simplistic eurocentric approach which is why it's so compelling to these kinds of to, to, to the broader audience which is completely fine <laughs> that's completely okay people can like whatever nature they like but yeah it can be a distraction from actually what what does need to be done which is a bit more yeah. nuanced yeah and cop 15 with their landmark biodiversity agreement what does that actually mean in, for businesses for individuals and, and for governments can you break that down a little bit for us because it was a huge announcement wasn't it and i think calling it cop 15 got it a bit, bit confusing we're yeah. now at cop 28 and people were like why have we got this have we gone backwards are there two so i think just the general nature of it caused confusion but having a landmark biodiversity agreement was a massive step forward but why so it's a big step forward for multiple reasons. Um, 2020 was meant to be the year of biodiversity. That was meant to be our year, and it was very obviously not. Um, that was when there were meant to be multiple international biodiversity agreements, and they all got paused because we had other things to deal with. Um, so it was a, a big thing for the biodiversity community in general because it felt like we were getting back into our stride, back onto our kind of, you know, what we were hoping to be doing. 
It was important because it shows intent. Um, it shows that people have come together going, actually, this is a really important thing that we just need to try and, and deliver, um, which means it does things, all kinds of different things. It unlocks funding for, for, for governments and from the GEF, the Global Environment Fund, amongst other things. But interestingly, it also includes, um, I think it's Target 16, which is a target that specifically speaks to businesses, and they're all within this. It specifically says businesses need to, to do something about this, essentially. Which means that it's a very clear steer that governments collectively think that must be done. Um, and it, the thing that's interesting about this is businesses move much, much faster than governments. Yeah. Um, so when they see something like this, there are a lot of businesses that are, you know, there are some that drag their heels, but there's a lot that are really genuinely trying to do it, go out there and, and push things and, and make things better. And that's exactly the kind of thing that they can point to. The you know, champions within these organizations can point to that, go, look, I told you, it's really important. Let's go and, you know, figure yeah. out what we can do about it. So it, its purpose is, its impact and its purpose is kind of quite complex because it's this very diffuse, broad thing. But it essentially says that, you know, we as a species essentially believe that this is what should be done interesting and do you think big question here have we passed the point of no return given the degradation can we come back from this in your I think, view i don't think we have at all um one of my favorite things about nature is its sheer resilience mm. there are definitely vulnerable aspects there are definitely tipping points you know if you um lose too much forest, you get desertification, all that kind of stuff. But nature recovers so fast if you let it, if you give it space, if you give it the enabling factors, if you stop putting the pressure on it. There's, and we see this everywhere. We see, um, you know, you can have a woodland, get back to a sort of functional woodland in England, can take, I don't know, 15, 20 years, and suddenly you have something. You know, it's not primary forest, but it's pretty good forest. In South Africa, there are, or Africa in general, there are cases of you know putting in wildlife corridors, and they saw you know, zebra and giraffes using them almost instantly. As soon as you stop, took away the pressure, they figured it out. Right. And the other thing I think about here is kind of the long view. Yeah. <laughs> if you think beyond um, the life of an individual, um, as long as we don't tip it too far, and as long as we you know try and reduce, make sure we don't lose species entirely the extent to which nature can recover in you know 200 years 300 years so for example is massive um and, and i think totally achievable so i think the capacity for nature's ability to regenerate is what makes me not so worried about this yeah um, here yeah, but totally achievable provided yeah. we start doing something about the degradation right yeah, I mean, <laughs> coupled with that, with that calm comment is the yeah. uh, the need to get moving now. Exactly. Um, because, but that's to be honest, is more from a species perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, if humans get wiped out by climate change, that will suck for us. But 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 the, the planet, planet will go up. Right? Yeah. 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 And all the species yeah. on it. I mean, we are yeah. the we are the single defining factor in this, aren't we? We, I mean, ultimately, <laughs> yeah. we are a bit of a virus on the world, aren't yeah. we? Or a bit of a bit of a parasite on the world. Yeah. But as you say, it, it will come back. And we've often said here, it's not really can marketing save the planet, it's can marketing save humanity. Yeah, well, exactly. Save the humans, yeah. I mean, if you take a historical perspective, there have been, you know, a number of uh, fairly regular, in fact, um, mass extinctions. And some of those have been pretty intense, you know. Mm -hmm. um, the one that always sticks out in my mind is when the seas turned to sulfuric acid. 
and killed 99% of all life on the planet. Um, and it came back again. So clearly, much, much more terrible things than, um, you know, humans. Uh, life can survive, sorry, clearly, life can survive much more terrible things than humans. Yeah. Uh, I just hope that humans can survive humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. So, um, I mean, this is so interesting. We could talk to you for hours and hours, Sam. So I guess from a marketing perspective, there's some really key areas there for marketers to be uh, aware of, A, what their organizations are doing um, as as part of uh, their biodiversity strategy. Do they have one? If they do, what are we doing? How can we talk about this? Where can we, uh, how is this substantiated to make sure that we are doing what we say we're doing, you know, to to showcase all of of that is aligned. Um, And you say you're working with larger organizations in building this biodiversity strategy what would you say to organizations of of different sizes you know generally to to people to marketers who may be listening into this podcast and thinking you know what we've been doing a lot on decarbonization but I'm not quite sure we're focused enough on biodiversity I'm not even sure we're doing anything about biodiversity what advice would you give to them as a kind of starting point so Fundamentally, I think for a good biodiversity strategy, it really needs to be seen as a bit more of a social process uh, than anything else. So, because it needs to be bottom up in a way that you know carbon is more more top down, that means that, in my opinion, to create a good biodiversity strategy, you need to bring people together from across the organisation to to figure out together. Um, and generally speaking, that the communications and marketing people are key stakeholders in that. Yeah. Which then means they can come to the table um, with, you know, supply chain people, design people, and finance people, and all the other folks that would need to come together to make choices about this and create a strategy that's actually robust. Um, and basically bring their expertise and, and learn and learn about the nuances about uh, of their company and learn about the story of biodiversity within their organization so that then they're able to understand okay you know what does that mean for our narrative what is going to be compelling yeah. and also what's not going to be compelling um yeah. you know that they, they need to come at it from a kind of a very serious and sober perspective and go not look for kind of quick wins or little capsule projects and things like that, but actually understand how to talk about this in a far more holistic, long-term way. And I think a really important thing here is then taking customers and consumers and and, collaborators and whoever else on the journey with them so that you're not coming across with these short kind of soundbite things, but more going, right, this you know, this is going to be something we're going to be talking about for a long time so that people then aren't expecting to see quick wins or like, you know, 100% achieved in three years. Rather, they're expecting to see these kind of large but more gradual changes. Yeah, it kind of gets embedded into the the whole ethos and operation of how the business evolves, isn't it? It's kind of this, it becomes part of, you know, the natural progress of an organisation rather than a project. Exactly. And also collaboration. I mean, you're saying you're working with some big organizations, I guess, across some big industries. And, you know, is there a sharing of best practice once you reach a certain point where, you know, we can, those organizations who are much more ahead can share within the industry so we can move a lot faster? Yes. So the challenge we have is that, um, all right, you know, I mentioned how we've gone in the space of what, four years from working with our first client in this space, we've worked on this space before, but in, in this kind of corporate biodiversity strategy space to the size we are now over four years. 
Well, we're working with essentially the most advanced companies. We're working the ones who are the quickest to move and the quickest to do something about it. And we really saw that uptick from a small number of companies to a reasonable number of companies in about a year and a half ago, basically. Yeah. Almost exactly a year and a half ago, we suddenly started getting a lot of a lot more emails basically out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. From companies that, you know, fantastic companies to work with. Um, and those companies have gone on biodiversity strategy journeys. Um, but it takes, I don't know, a year and a half, a year, minimum nine months, really, really, to create a biodiversity strategy. And even then, it takes a while before the company's going to feel comfortable talking about it because they are quite old and new and they're still figuring this out. So people always ask me, like, can you show me what good looks like? Can you point me to a public biodiversity strategy? And the answer is no. I know some amazing ones, but they're all private. And they're all by yeah. NDAs. I think we will get to the point. Some of my clients, I wish I could name them. Some of my clients um, have said that they, they do want to start publishing the, the, the detailed strategies more publicly, partly in the spirit of what you said, of kind of yeah. helping everybody come on together. But the thing is, the interest in this space has moved very, very quickly. And the methods are, are still only just developing. And even the most, even the furthest along companies are still at the early early stages of their journey. Mm. But they're not surely <laughs> using it as a, like a competitive advantage, are they? Is that why they would be keeping it? I can't see how that's why they're keeping it close to their chest. It's just that they're they're kind of cautious. Yeah, I mean, these are big things. I don't think yeah. anyone sees it as a competitive thing, really. I mean, I yeah. think some companies it does, but. Um, broadly speaking, it's pretty competitive, yeah. but it is. These are quite big things to get their heads around, and they're quite yeah. quite big implications. You know, if they if they realise actually they need to change their business model in some way, which yeah. they maybe will have to. That's a huge decision that it doesn't just affect biodiversity; it affects a, a large number of people's livelihoods and, and professions, and you know their, their employees and their, their customers and their yeah. suppliers, all this kind of stuff. Which means they do need to think carefully. They can't just rush in. Yeah. I guess from a marketing perspective, it's about how you go through that process of creating the biodiversity strategy and take out the bits that you can tell stories about, about the fact that, you know, of what's happening, you know, and providing that landscape and showing how the landscape's changing and, and raising awareness more than anything, isn't it? We do need to raise a lot more awareness about the impacts of what we're doing. So I guess that, that from that perspective, they, they could start to talk about the context of it. Yeah. Absolutely. And also about the journey, I think. Yes. I mean, this isn't my space, but I I really liked that Lego, for example, they tried something with um, different yeah. ways of making their products and found it didn't work, but they, they spoke about it. They were they, transparent, yeah. Which I thought was fantastic. And I think that that kind of attitude of going, look, we're giving this a go. We're not like 100% certain it's going to work, but we think this is a really important thing we need to try to figure out what the right way is. Um, so I, I think that kind of... I hope this translates effectively yeah. into marketing KPIs yeah, and all these sure. kind of things. Well, it's kind of like that classic, where are we now? You know, what what do we need to do? What is it that we're looking to do? And I think understanding where you are right now, what your impact is right now is, is a critical piece. And then understanding what it is that can be done about it so that then you can build that 
actions and and because that's transparency isn't it we're always talking about how we've got to be more transparent and more authentic so that you know you can build that trust so talking about the fact that you're looking into your impacts around biodiversity and telling the story as you go but not necessarily revealing everything you're doing because you're in and that it's a work in progress as you share it can take a year or more to actually start to input those changes because of all that but actually having a level of transparency as Lego have done by saying they tried something that didn't work and actually not throwing in a solution straight away, but we're looking at other things and how we can take that forward. Yes, it it created discussion and there was some negative comments and there was some positivity around it, but overall it started a discussion, didn't it? It raised some awareness and that's what we need to start doing, talking about it. No one's going to have the answers immediately because it's such a complex issue. Mm -hmm. So I think that transparency is a really key part. It is. And it's so contextual, as you said, Sam, at the beginning. You know, it's so contextual, isn't it? Okay, so I we love to ask all of our podcast guests um, three critical questions um, at the end of all of our podcasts. So um, the first question to you, Sam, is can marketing save the planet or the humans? Um, what's your view moving forwards? I think marketing is going to play a really important role in this. I think we're only going to be successful in this if we collectively take it seriously and understand that biodiversity and biodiversity ability is really hard. This isn't something where we're going to have these beautiful, lovely answers in 18 months. This is going to be a journey and this is going to be a long-term journey and it's going to cause, it's going to require quite major shifts in, in how we operate and how our supply chains operate. And I think that there's a really important role for marketing in that to, to tell that story and take yeah. people on the journey and help consumers and the public and buyers, all these different people take that perspective, take yeah. that long-term view and, and not, you know, penalize people for, for short-term things. Yeah. Yeah. Because as you say, that can be, it can be totally transformative for a business. They may be changing their whole operating structure you know, to to conform or to support their biodiversity strategy. So, um, so yeah. So that's uh, it's 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 enormous, isn't it? It's been hugely transformational. And Sam, what do you hope the business looks like in ten years' time? So I hope that where we end up is that businesses are thinking about this in a totally routine way. Mm. It's a standard part of all operations. And I think ideally, really, we get to the point where, you know, buying a T-shirt or a bottle of cornflakes, wherever it might be, actually does make the world more biodiverse. And actually, we're able to have um, our supply chains and our companies supporting uh, the natural world. And actually, ideally, ending up in a place where we're living, sounds a little bit twee, but in harmony to some degree, you know, actually living alongside in a way that there is no more loss and actually the commercial kind of model that we operate in uh, leads to that, the maintenance of that kind of, uh, of a positive world, basically. And uh, if you were to give one piece of advice to marketers or anybody else getting started, I mean, you, you said earlier about making it social, bring together everybody, um, which is which is critical to get many voices and that diversity of, of and the, the, the kind of, personality the personal elements of what matters to to individuals and and getting them involved across the whole value chain of the business but if you could give one piece of advice 
maybe not from a practical perspective, but something that you feel would support marketers in moving or getting involved in this area, what what would it be? So I think the key bit of advice I would give is to identify the champions within the organization who think this is important and bring together some of those key players uh, in, in something ideally that becomes a bit of a social process. Um, I think something we always forget about is that organizations are not these huge concrete edifices. They're actually comprised of lots of different people. Uh, and change happens because generally a small group of people at some point within the organization goes, actually, I think we should change or we could change and, and here's why. Yeah. And I think that marketers have a unique opportunity here because it's so narrative focused, because it's such a, a strong story to be had and because it's such a it's such a positive long-term story if done right. This isn't a short win. This is something that can be talked about for the, yeah. the lifetime of an yeah. organization. So I think there's an opportunity for marketers to be the kind of catalyst for that and actually bring together the people to go, you know, could we do this? What, what actually could this look like? And then who do we need to bring to the table to, to, to understand how we go about that and essentially build the momentum to actually cause these big systemic shifts that, that we so desperately need? Love that. And uh, Sam, where can our listeners find out about all the work you do? Um, so there's a certain amount on our website. I post all the time on LinkedIn as uh, my co-founder, normally in quite uh, vocal terms about things that maybe I should be slightly more uh, discreet about. <laughs> no, um, never. So if, you, if I think of something, it tends to come out pretty quickly on LinkedIn. And to be honest, I never expected that to become such a focal part of my job, but it, it, it totally has. This is, this is where the debate about this stuff is happening. Yeah, excellent. Well, we will make sure that all links to uh, Sam and your site and finding out more about what it is that you do um, are all in the show notes. So that just leaves us to say a really huge thank you, Sam, for joining us. Um, It's been a pleasure to speak with you. It's been a pleasure to learn uh, about the work that you're doing. And um, and here's, here's to more. Thank you for tuning in to the Can Marketing Save the Planet podcast. We hope that you're enjoying these conversations just as much as we are. And if you are enjoying them, then please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast channel and indeed to share the podcast with your colleagues, your friends, your family, because the more people we can get engaged in these conversations, the better. You'll find the podcast on all the usual podcast platforms, and you'll also find it on the Marketing Society podcast and the Global Player. For more information about the podcast and indeed the work we do, please visit www.canmarketingsavetheplanet.com. There you will find information about our latest books. You'll find information about our online sustainable marketing training hub and the training and advisory services that we offer. And you'll also find our learning zone, which is an absolute resource hub filled with all things sustainable marketing. So we look forward to hearing more from you And we look forward to catching up soon.